I'd like us to just hum a little bit together. Do any kind of humming you want. You're making noise now. Keep doing it out of through your vocal cords and through your lips. Experience it also coming through you from the others as if you were part of one instrument made of several hundred keys or pipes, one organ. Keep making that sound. And also, with your imagination, imagine that you're beholding Earth, wafting around in space, coming close to this solar system, way off to the side of the Milky Way, seeing that third planet out from the sun, coming to a part that's just slipped into shadow, moonlight touching it on the edge of a vast ocean, hearing this sound, thinking, oh, there must be benevolent beings calling me with this sound. Put into your humming the huge benevolence you feel for all beings, how much you want them not to be lost, not to be afraid, not to go crazy with grief or pain, not to go crazy with meanness and spite, Hold them with the sound you make. And can you feel the sound holding you? Can you imagine this sound beginning so long ago? Maybe it began with time and space. Maybe it'll go on beyond this little lifetime, this chapter you're living. So big is the life you belong to. So big is the life that lives through you.
So what's with this paying attention? All this talk about being awake. You know, it's very odd, actually. Most spiritual paths give you stuff to believe first or tell you ways you have to behave. And here, in this Dharma way, the main thing seems to be, and certainly in this practice, this precious practice, just being present. Just noticing, moment by moment, as if, as if they thought that the mind could liberate itself by noticing. Oh, could the mind liberate itself by just seeing what's going on? Now, I had a lesson, I had a teaching about this two nights ago, and it moved me so much that I am going to, I've arranged, and you're going to love me for this. <laughs> I have arranged for you to experience what I experienced. And uh, it's um, a new friend, Roger Keyes, uh, saying his poem about Hokusai. So I've asked him, he's been good enough to come, and I want you to tell us who Hokusai is, and then tell us the poem. And I'll give you mine. <coughs> Hokusai, Katsushika Hokusai, was a Japanese artist born in 1760, died in 1849. He devoted his life to seeing. He was a painter and a print designer, a book illustrator and a poet. He did 36 views about Fuji. He did the great wave. Some of you know, read Fuji. And this poem is written. Can you hear okay? Yeah in relation to him. Hokusai says, Hokusai says, look carefully. He says, pay attention, notice. He says, keep looking, stay curious. He says, there's no end to seeing. He says, look forward to getting old. He says, keep changing. You just get more who you really are. He says, get stuck, accept it, repeat yourself as long as it's interesting. <laughs> he says, keep doing what you love. He says, keep praying. He says, every one of us is a child. Every one of us is ancient. Every one of us has a body. He says, every one of us is frightened says every one of us has to find a way to live with fear. He says everything's alive. Shells, buildings, people, fish, mountains, trees. Wood is alive. Water's alive. Everything has its own life. Everything lives inside us. He says live with the world inside you. He says, it doesn't matter if you draw or write books. 
Doesn't matter if you saw wood or catch fish. Doesn't matter if you sit at home and stare at the ants on your veranda or the shadows of the trees, grasses in your garden. It matters that you care. It matters that you feel. It matters that you notice. It matters that life lives through you. Contentment is life living through you. Joy is life living through you. Satisfaction and strength is life living through you. Peace is life living through you. Look, feel, let life take you by the hand. Don't be afraid. Let life live through you. Thank you for your poem. It feeds me deeply. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now that comes out of my Christian background, St. <laughs> Paul. Seeing how we're compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, then we will run the race set before us. Yes. And, yes. Huh? Yes. And, and uh, what a cloud of witnesses. There's Hokusai. Mm -hmm. And you, uh, through your uh, art as a poet, you've made him present. And I've uh, felt Jack here, uh, sitting here tonight. And he's feel that presence. Uh, it's part of our... Um, imperative now in this time in the world to call into our company all those who have loved this world. There's so many who have gone before us, who have tended this earth, who have been faithful in preserving it and the teachings, who have loved that. And they would want to be present to us in this time. I believe that they would want that because it is a hard time. I believe they'd want us to uh, stay faithful. They can help us do that. And we can. You've, you've brought Hokusai to help us be faithful in looking. Noticing he says, it matters that you care. It matters that you see. And that can be the hardest thing right now. This could be the very hardest thing, is to pay attention. You know that there are multi-billion dollar industries devoted to keeping us from paying attention, <laughs> to distracting us to filling us with restlessness 
and insatiable appetites and cravings so that we cannot attend to just this moment, to cannot, so that we cannot see our own beauty or sufficiency or suffering. Either one of those, if we could see our beauty, if we could see our adequacy, if we could open to our pain, oh, what that could mean for our world. So it's a very radical and subversive act. to pay attention. And it moves me greatly that we here uh, have, have been given in our time this practice. I think my grandparents and my great-grandparents, they were wonderful. They didn't ever dream that there could be a way that could help them just do this. We, it's come in our time. <coughs> And Hokusai says that if we could just notice, we could begin to experience life living through us. That's an amazing... What's the connection there of being present moment by moment to what is happening? To yourself to this body, to each other, to the trees. And this extraordinary claim he makes in this poem about let life live through you. I feel very fortunate when I came into the Dharma practice 30-odd years ago, that although I was with a Tibetan community, this was in northwest India, I was given Vipassana training. And they said, well, I could graduate to Vajrayana afterwards, and I never really did. I just <laughs> stayed with this uh, Satipatthana, we called it then. But it's the same, this noticing, noticing, and then discovering that when you pay attention to what is arising moment by moment in experience, that it begins to dissolve <laughs> some rather firm structures you thought you had in place, <laughs> like who you were, <laughs> for instance. <laughs> who is this solid I that I thought was there, that I have been devoting my uh, self and education and all my efforts for decades to either promoting or improving or punishing. And suddenly this uh, solid self isn't so solid anymore. Begins in this extraordinary practice to turn into a kind of fountain. of dharmas, of (laughs) moments, of this 
energy, wisdom. And you can't put a uh, name tag on it. This is Joanna's, or that's Roger's, or that's Hokusai's. Am I hearing Hokusai or Roger when I hear this poem? And now I love it so much, I've read it so much, and my son here knows I could go out at home. It could be mine. <laughs> Maybe it's yours. <laughs> Paying attention can liberate us, he seems to be saying. It could be anything I love, even the ants on the veranda. Anything to see that there is this life happening. And it's far too big and far too mysterious to think that it belongs to me or you. It pours through. Guy mentioned that uh, a book is coming out uh, next month of early poems of Rilke's and my co-translator is here tonight, Anita Barrows. And he, I'm going to read two short poems where Rilke also, this is, is he has this sense that how easy it is for us to get so distracted so shut down, so asleep that we don't live our lives. And then he has, that's the first poem, and then the second is something about, but wait a minute, who's living this life as I come awake? Who is it that's living it? No one lives his life disguised since childhood, haphazardly assembled from voices and fears and little pleasures, we come of age as masks. Our true face never speaks. Somewhere there must be storehouses where all these lives are laid away like suits of armor or old carriages or clothes hanging limply on the walls. Maybe all paths lead there, to the repository of unlived things. People want so desperately in our time to live, and they'll go to theme parks and Disneyland's, and, and it's ersatz, you manufactured experience. Because our real lives, it's like they're locked away somewhere. And then right following this comes his next poem. And yet, though we strain against the deadening grip of daily necessity, I sense there is this mystery. All life is being lived. Who is living it then? Is it the things themselves or something waiting inside them like an unplayed melody in a flute? Is it the winds blowing over the waters? Is it the branches that signal to each other? Is it flowers interweaving their fragrances? Or streets 
as they wind through time? Is it the animals warmly moving? Or the birds that suddenly rise up? Who lives it then? God, are you the one who is living life? The sense of being lived through. Life wants to go on. We come on the scene now hundreds of millions of years after our species first got up on its hind legs. And even that human chapter is just a brief chapter compared to our evolutionary life since the first spinning and splitting of the stars and space and time began. And every atom and every molecule of your body goes back to that. Breaking open of space and time in the dance of life in this world. It has brought you here in this form, though you, I believe, have been part of this show from the beginning. And I don't think it's by accident that you are alive now and that you want to be awake to the point where, having been so fortunate is to hear about the Dharma, a path of waking up. You take time to come. Give thanks for that. Don't take that for granted. And so we've come at this point where most scientists in the world don't give us a chance for the continuity of complex life forms in terms of the spasms of extinctions going on, the climate changes, is it in ecosystem after ecosystem, seas, soils, air, rivers, and they say, beyond the point of no return. And we, at this point, are waking up. We are practicing to be present. I believe in our practice to be present. Is life searching to go on? To see, see it, to see through our eyes for the earth so that we can awaken together. It's not just for your own bliss or enlightenment that you are here. 
you know that. And you know that there isn't any bliss or enlightenment unless we do it together. It's life living through you that brings you here to sit and make that noble, valiant effort to be awake. Awake in the caring. I have asked Roger to say it again. (laughs) (laughs) Say it again, Roger. Yeah. Hokusai says, (laughs) look carefully. I'm on a leash here. (laughs) Pay attention. (laughs) Notice. (laughs) Keep looking. (laughs) Stay curious. Yeah. He says there's no end to seeing. He says, look forward to getting old. Yeah, just keep changing. You just get more who you really are. He says, get stuck, accept it. Repeat yourself as long as it's interesting. He says, keep doing what you love. He says, keep praying. He says, every one of us is a child. Every one of us is ancient. Every one of us has a body. He says, every one of us is frightened. He says, every one of us has to find a way to live with our fear. He says, everything's alive. Shells, buildings, people, fish, mountains, trees. Wood is alive. Water's alive. Everything has its own life. Everything lives inside us. He says, live with the world inside you. He says it doesn't matter if you draw or write books. Doesn't matter if you saw wood or catch fish. Doesn't matter if you sit at home and stare at the ants on your veranda or the shadows of the trees and grasses in your garden. It matters that you care. It matters that you feel. It matters that you notice. It matters that life lives through you. Contentment is life living through you. Joy is life living through you. Satisfaction and strength is life living through you. Peace is life living through you. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Look, feel. Let life take you by the hand. Let life live through you. Thank you. So let's make this a general conversation. Any comments, questions, observations? Or poems will be very welcome.
you still draw on any of your Christian teachings? <clears throat> he asked if I still drew on any of my Christian teachings <clears throat> of learnings. <laughs> Yes. Inasmuch as if you done it unto the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have done it unto me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. I was homeless and you took me in. And those that were hearing Jesus said, Lord, when did we ever do that? And he said, inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, you have done it unto me. Consider the lilies of the field. They spin not, neither do they reap. Take no fear for the morrow. I feel very fortunate to have been born into so rich a tradition, I got, it gave me intellectual claustrophobia uh, at a certain point in my life. Um, but I, it set something. Um, and so did the uh, Hebrew prophets, Isaiah. Amos, Micah, Hosea. See, I had a, my grandfather was a congregational preacher. <laughs> Do you know that it's, uh, the Dharma has allowed me to love my Christian roots. And I'm not unusual in that. I've, friends who Jewish and Christian who have been able to love their own tradition again and even embrace it after encountering the Dharma. It's like the teachings of the Buddha were like a solvent that uh, how do I say it? Tell me you understand, so I don't have to try to explain it. <laughs> you know what I mean? They <laughs> the jewels out of the tradition. What? They, they pulled the jewels yeah. out of the traditions. Yeah, so that... Um, I One thing that I love, that I've really loved about the... Um, the whole biblical tradition, and this is very much in the Old Testament, too, is the understanding of uh, the redemptive nature of suffering. 
and uh, mm. the the whole notion of the suffering servant mm. that is there and Isaiah and so forth. Uh, because it has uh, made me impatient with certain Buddhist teachers who view or interpreters who view suffering as a mistake. Like if you suffer, that shows you're attached. As if the goal of the Dharma path is to be uh, in a state of never hurting for anything, feeling no pain for the world, being able to stay in a state of a sort of emotionally lobotomized. So I've uh, had things to say over the last <laughs> 30 years about that interpretation, and I have loved those teachers who've been very explicit about that, like Shantideva, that wonderful 8th century saint who said, let all sorrows ripen in me. Oh. See, that helps us pay attention, you know, a lot of, whether, you know, one of the hard things about paying attention now is that we think we'll just can't stand it to see the amount of pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. That we'll get stuck in our own despair. <coughs> that we'll be mired in sorrow if we really were to see and really look at what is happening to our young people, to our kids, to our other brother and sister species, to the next generation, to the kind of world we're leaving now. And uh, it's wonderful, been wonderful for me to find, uh, just find, to just stand before, and take in the teachings that um, this opening, this capacity to suffer with, which we all, if we notice what's going on in the world, we suffer with our world. But that's literally the meaning of compassion. That means you are a compassionate being, a bodhisattva. Then, Then you're not stuck with that. You know, you're only stuck with what you don't let yourself experience. So to be able to, to be with the pain. So I've, I teach that out of the Dharma. But I teach it with a lot of vigor because of my Christian background and Isaiah and the... <laughs> I love that question. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes? So how would you how would you integrate or share that the Dharma from this perspective with people who are not necessarily in practice? What I want to know is like in order to encourage people to I see the poem that you said felt like So, in that alone, 
Does that actually, is that your experience? Does that actually assist people in doing that? If you wanted to reach people that are not here, that are not in the practice of any particular Dharma at all, people that are numb, people that are in despair, people that don't take action, don't do anything, they're so in despair that they don't even want to feel it. And those very people are so relieved to be able to speak it. They are so... Oh, you know, it's just off. It's, it, we all know how painful it is to keep stuff buried and bottled up. Uh, when I wrote the sort of groundbreaking article, and it was way back, it was back 79, I mean, uh, about, it was called How to Deal with Despair. And I talked about this as a common experience, a sense of impending apocalypse that, um, and that we're afraid to speak it. And that in the sense of cognitive dissonance that we feel, that we keep going on with business as usual, how everything just fine and we're playing the game and we're just making it, just as you know, being a competent, successful person who smiles a lot be social while there's this scream inside us and um, the that drew a flood of letters <coughs> hundreds and hundreds of letters and they all virtually all said thank you for helping me see I'm not crazy and they didn't say, well, why didn't you t- tell us more specifically what to do? You didn't set out a program. You didn't tell us how to, you know, whether we should work for a guaranteed minimum wage or what. They didn't fault me for not giving them a recipe for saving the world. Because deep in our hearts, we know that there is no recipe other than our waking up together. And it's high time we are going to do it. And we can't sit back here in our unenlightened state and try to uh, figure out some prudential line of action. That when we let the pretense fall away, that we are um, stupid, isolated beings, greedy beings, and wake up to the hugeness of our heart, then the response will come. So what they were thanking me for was for naming. I did a workshop two weeks ago at Stanford Business School. (laughs) And there is a process that I'm going to be doing at one of the days here called the Truth Mandala, where it's a ritual form where you can speak and I said to them at the beginning, at first I was scared. And I thought, I, you know, I just so hate to be embarrassed. <laughs> I didn't want to do something that was going to fail. And here were all these people being groomed for seven-digit salaries as CEOs. And, um, but my host was also a student there said, go on, Joanna, I'd rather you offered it in a failed than not to offer it at all. 
They didn't want to stop. These men came in dripping from their noses, from their eyes, having they said, and they would come in to speak. At last I can say it. At last there's a place. This is a place I'm going to say it. I grieve for what I am being taught. You know, there is just people, there is a tremendous des, uh, desire on the part of life to tell the truth. It staggers me. Yeah. Yeah. People don't want us to us being, you know, those who are going to save the world, um, to uh, come at them with a program of action and, and prove that what they're doing is wrong and beat them in an argument about... so much as they want the opportunity to hear themselves. I never thought in my life that I would have the opportunity to see the hugeness of the human heart as much as this work has allowed me to do of just enabling people to say what they are experiencing. And what comes out is such nobility, such compassion, such caring. Saikokusai says, it matters that you care. We need to tell people, we need to find ways within us, with each other, to make it okay to care. There was a, yeah? Can you speak up real loud? the Dharma can be used as a method for approaching um, and taking action on the environmental and social problems that we face today um, beyond giving people the opportunity to name and, and speak their, their feelings. Well, as, as Guy mentioned, um, the in addition to that, I, I love it that he was able to see, uh, uh, help me to see <laughs> that uh, how important two things have been for me in the Dharma. One is the teaching on suffering, and the other is the central doctrine of the uh, interdependence of all life forms, uh, or what's called the dependent co-arising. Uh, Interdependence is almost too weak a word. Uh, it's uh, interexistence, or as Thich Nhat Hanh says, interbeing, almost interpenetration. And when we uh, awaken to that, 
Uh, and it isn't hard, actually, because that's the way we're built. That's why our bodies know it. That's our relationship with our natural support systems of the earth and air and water. But when we uh, are able to take that in because it's been sort of uh, drummed out of us by our educational system and the mainstream thinking of the last couple of thousand years, then uh, when we get that, uh, we're undefeatable. There is nothing that can stop us because then we are not fighting from being a uh, separate person, no matter how smart. You could be a walking data bank, you know, or how courageous uh, or how uh, saintly. None of those boring things. It's, uh, you don't, it's, it doesn't matter. Uh, even your own victimhood. No matter how, you know, you could stand up and talk about all the um, terrible things life is None of that. Because your true nature is in this co-arising web of life. And so, to the extent, and this is sort of something I keep learning over and over and over, to the extent that we're open, we allow ourselves to be open, to the pain of our world, by that, ver- to that very same extent we allow ourselves to be open to the power that can surge through us mm-hmm. out of the living web of life. And so then, um, you know, you could call it the jeweled net of Indra, mm-hmm. or one of these wonderful, or to use a, a Christian phrase, you know, I'm the vine and you're the branches, but all these Uh, uh, images and metaphors for a living reality that we are a living part of a living earth and that life, that life is living through us and that is unstoppable and it's not even stoppable by our death. When we identify with that which lives through us, and we can experience it at times as passionate love, we can experience it as grief, standing there mute with grief and horror, and that we realize that that is inseparable from the love. The pain is just the other side of love. And so we stop being afraid of pain. Nobody can, it's very hard to stop people who aren't afraid of pain. There's tremendous. Uh, liberation then. And I am so grateful to the teachings of the Lord Buddha uh, for uh, this dharma of our interdependence. It's thrilling to be alive today, as each one of us says, there's nobody here who isn't alive right at this moment. (laughs) And to be alive at a time when we have got to get it. We can't fart around any longer. We have got to get it now if we want there to be a world. And we can. Because it's the nature. It's the nature of our self-liberating awareness. I feel like asking you to say the poem a third time. <laughs> oh, it's time for us to stop. Yes? Given the fact that the Dharma has been around for 2,500 years on, and given the fact that there's been 
billions of people, or millions of people, but billions perhaps of people who have been exposed to it. And given the fact that there's a lot of interdependence in other religions and all of these uh, feelings and so forth that the Dharma puts out, why is it that we were uh, where we are today? <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a facetious question. I'm not trying to be funny. But given the fact of the power of the Dharma and all the things that we here in this room can experience, how is it that we are in this position today? If it, if it's we like to entertain ourselves. <laughs> no, I'm, that's a serious answer. That's one answer. I said we like to entertain ourselves. But I'm afraid that sounds facetious. For a question like that, the uh, story of the Buddha and the, about the arrow Do you stop somebody's been shot with an arrow and they're bleeding to death? And you say, oh, well, first we've got to find out uh, what he was doing, that how he got in the path of the arrow and who shot it and what was their uh, curriculum vitae or what have you. And you say, wait a minute, pull out the arrow. I don't know why we're... Uh, we could... Uh, to make diagnoses or to assign blame is certainly very entertaining, but it might be. It just might be beside the point. The point is we're here at this position in, uh, in our lives today on the edge of disaster. That's the point. When the pain disappears, the Dharma disappears. Um, together with paying attention mm -hmm. and caring and telling the truth, is there anything that needs to be done? <laughs> <laughs> What is it? <laughs> you want a program? <laughs> it's time for us to... I, um, one of the reasons that I'm so excited about the Buddhist Peace Fellowship is that it asks those questions uh, over and over again. And you ask the questions, and you be, but you don't um, uh, settle for a final answer. Keep asking 
deeper ones, deeper questions. There's a lot that needs to be changed. Our whole economic system, for starters. <laughs> Our relationship to the earth, the chemicals we use, the fertilizers we use. There's so much. The way we organize our families. But to meet on the basis of uh, not nobody having the final answer, knowing that each view in this interdependence, because of the interdependence in which we are all living together, Everybody knows a lot, each person knows a lot, and each person's view is very partial. So dialogue is essential. But to keep asking and to keep talking, our lives must be transformed, I believe. I believe they can be, because what transforms lives is the way we see things. That is the great revolution. And then everything else begins to follow, but consciously always. My dear friends, uh, it's 9 o'clock and 2 minutes. Thank you so much for um, being with me this evening. And let me thank again Roger Keyes and Hokusai. Good evening. to that question. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.